I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. The aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, 10. It is Thursday afternoon, so you know what that means. Favorite college basketball writer uh, is here. All right, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. I, I have requested a trade. Mm. Um, from the uh, the Brooklyn Substacks mm. to the uh, the Dallas Substacks, so oh. uh, and um, we're we're going to see if it gets honored in time for the Substack trade deadline. A lot going on today in the trade deadline, and I just Re- really fun from- to wake up at six to a text of this league from my best friend, and then having to hurry to ESPN app and figure out what happened. Are you a Grizz? No, I don't really have a team. I guess the Pistons are my closest team, but. They're so hard to watch that I can't get into it. But it is fun to bandwagon on Memphis. Okay. Pete uh, Bay, uh, Detroit Pistons legend, is now a hawk. So we have some crossover mm-hmm. there, Will. Uh, Memphis Grizzlies legend, James Wiseman. Or sorry, mm-hmm. Memphis Tigers legend, James Wiseman. Now a Detroit Piston. Yeah, I don't I want to definitely did not understand for Detroit's aspect because like Wiseman and just drafted um, Jalen Duran, um, another Memphis guy. Yeah, so you you have two Memphis centers, and you figure out which one sucks less. I guess, Matt. The, yeah, that's, that's the answer is Duran, by the way, easily. Yeah, then why make? Man, that that had to hurt. Kind of return if you're the war. Look above, ball and several other good. That was yeah. just a that was a rough one to swallow. That James Wiseman was never never gonna happen. Yeah, mm. but. Well, don't forget, folks, college basketball <laughs> on this very program each and every Friday as you're listening. Um, you can find Will on Twitter at Stats by Will. Go subscribe to his Substack, where he's mm-hmm. writing all kinds of great uh, college basketball content over on statsbywill.substack.com. Type in your email. That that simple. Um, go ahead and do that today. There was a really good update um, and thoughtful. Uh, I think that I would... Will and I have a lot in common, but that's definitely something that um, when you're a married guy, you're in your, you're nearing your 30s, work-life balance out, all those things are things that you have to consider and uh, take care of your mental health, take care of your personal and physical health. It's just, uh, it, it's very respectful, and I think it's very important that we all, this uh, nobody cares work harder culture, that uh, <laughs> we actually take some time to... Take care of ourselves because 
that's the that's the most important thing and we need it to do it for ourselves and also the people closest to us because they see it when we're burned out and uh you want to be at your best for them too um so great article that you can go check out over there on statsbywill.substack.com uh, you can email us if you have any college basketball questions for will or myself on these shows you can email us at chase podcast at email.com podcast spotify we're available each and every day new content on this free feed covering everything and uh last thing uh go check us out on youtube youtube.com you can watch full episodes clips youtube all that good stuff over on our youtube page so we continue youtube.com slash chase thomas podcast here on the blue wire pod network um well i want to start here it's been a couple days since it happened but Following a name redacted uh, victory over name redacted on Saturday afternoon, uh, Indiana <laughs> played uh, Purdue and hosted Purdue and then mm. beat Purdue uh, late. I it was kind of an under the radar loss for Purdue. I think um, an amazing atmosphere uh, for IU. It's just it's cool when I use better at basketball because it doesn't matter how many years they've been irrelevant on the national stage. The fan. Simply Hall is still uh, a top-notch venue, and it just—it was really cool to see, and obviously a big win for Mike Woodson. And his... I want to ask you, like, how did how did Indiana beat Purdue, and did they establish some sort of blueprint that other teams could utilize come tournament time uh, to beat the Boilermakers? So it, it was interesting, and uh, I think I want to start this off with a shout out to my favorite web form out there, Meet at Midfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a college football with some college basketball site, but they they had a post up, I think, after Indiana lost to Penn State titled Indiana basketball is in hell. And uh, since then, Indiana is seven and one. So mm-hmm. and, and it, it just gets bumped like after every win. So I've been mm-hmm. really enjoying that lately. But uh, no, I thought Indiana did a terrific job of forcing some lower quality shots by Purdue. Uh, Edie in particular had to take 10 hook shots. Um mm. Which it's not like that's a bad shot for him, right? He still hits those 51% of the time, but that's 12% less often than layups for him, and obviously a lot less often than dunks. They they did a really good job of forcing him to take shots from, you know, four to six feet, maybe six to eight feet, versus right there at the rim. And I think against him, every inch counts, quite literally. Like, you have to do everything you can to shove him away, get him out, you know, keep him from just overpowering you, in route to a uh, massive dunk. And it's a little easier said than done, mm-hmm. I think. Like, it's the not every team is going to have Trace Jackson Davis on their side or, you know, like some other front court options they had. But um, I, the blueprint aspect is interesting because I, I think there's a couple different ways you can beat them. But Indiana flashed an interesting one in that they really didn't double ED very often. It was just mm-hmm. a few times all game. Um, they said, you know, okay, if you want to take 25 shots, take 25 shots, you know, we'll let you score, you know, one to two points at a time if you have to, but we're going to make it hard on you, and we don't believe the shooters around you can beat us. So, and I mean, that formula worked. Purdue only went six for 19 from deep, and I've kind of altered between what way is the best to do it, whether it's single coverage and just say, like, we're going to accept that, but we're going to keep everybody else from doing their thing. Or if it's you double ED, you accept that you're going to play three on four, but you don't believe that Purdue's shooters are capable of beating you. And I, I've wondered about that because, 
I mean, like Purdue really isn't like an amazing shooting team. They're right at the national average from three, both in attempts and makes. They pass the ball very well, but they they really don't have like that knockdown every single time. Like you're terrified when he pulls up shooter. I mean, like Braden Smith and Mason Gillis are both very good shooters, but they're not elite ones. And Fletcher Lawyer is really cooled off after a hot start. And so you you wonder if the way they go out, there's two ways I can really pitch them going out is one, Edie picks up an insane fifth foul in an offensive rebound attempt, and Twitter is just bonkers for weeks after. Or two, Purdue shoots three of 17 from deep, hmm. and they can't support Edie. And, you know, I, the, the problem with the NCAA tournament is, like, it's a loser machine by nature. Like, you're a lot less likely to not win it than you are. Hmm. Um, but... Uh, I, I don't know. How do you feel about those two strategies? Because you can make a good argument for either one. And the two games they've lost, they've it's kind of been different strategies in each. Like Rutgers doubled Edie quite a bit more than Indiana did. Yeah, I kind of, I guess it just, it's so hard to say because I think it depends on your personnel, right? Like mm-hmm. everybody's personnel will, like some people, it makes more sense than others. Like some people... I don't know. I think Tennessee wouldn't have to. Like if Tennessee got matched up with Purdue yeah. in the Elite Eight, I don't think they would have to send two uh, to help. You just throw Euros to piss them off, <laughs> and then I do for a little bit. And then Toby Walker, who might win a lot of those matchups, um, uh, just based on how he's played and rebounded of late. But um, I don't know. I guess it's just matchup based, like so many different things. But uh, I think I don't think there's a wrong answer there. Yeah, and, and it's it's going to be really interesting to see how it unfolds the rest of the way for Purdue. Like, you know, I don't think there's a secret formula to beat them by any means. I do think, mm-hmm. like, the fact they've shored up their defense quite a bit is going to help them come March. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, really, they're like, I think all they really got to do is go, like, four and three even down the stretch to lock up a one seed because it's not like the top end of college basketball is very good this year. So Who are your long ones? Do are there any locks for you? There, there's no locks for a one seed. Purdue probably mm. is the closest. They've got the best resume, and I think that's why they stayed number one in the AP this week. Um, so I, I think they're going to be closest. They'll probably finish, you know, twenty-seven, twenty-eight wins, and they're going to have the inside lane on the overall one seed. Mm. Um, but it, again, it's uh, I don't know. I mean, beyond Purdue, I think your next best shot's probably Houston. Alabama, and then I keep reminding myself that Blind that lock. legally, legally they are required to have four one seeds in this tournament, mm-hmm. uh, and so it will be somebody who uh, we're still doing research to find out. Um, I am not unconvinced it won't be Arizona though. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, we'll see. Uh, it's just weird. It's just a weird year of college basketball because there are truly no elite elite just juggernauts in the sport right now no and And when when the best team to me is houston yeah and it's like we like houston we think they're very good but i mean houston lost at home to a bad temple team really could have lost to wichita could have lost to cincy could have lost to ucf to usf Mm -hmm. their their run of play of late really since christmas has not been the most encouraging thing in the world no, I think it's gonna be a really weird final four. I think that's where we're headed towards. You're the well. That's why uh, um, this isn't gonna make any Tennessee fan happy because they mm. they love uh, being in the torture chamber. But um, 
that's why this could be the year because nothing makes sense. So why wouldn't the least sensical thing, which is Tennessee doing it happen? Yeah. I mean, West Virginia, like finding their way into the final four would be hilarious, but I, I, I would love that because then Mm. it's, you know, Bob Huggins, I honestly, it sounds like Bob Huggins might retire, which will be sad when it happens. Yeah. Um, but if that is the case, that'd be cool to see him go out with one big one to, to end it. But no, I mean like, you're, we are really going to head towards the final four. Where it's like you might get a one seed in there, but you might also get like nine seed Nevada for some yeah. reason. Uh, it's going to be weird uh, no matter yes. what, but it's, uh, hey, we're almost there. It's kind of wild that I was like, oh, we still got some time, but no, we're we're nearing the end. We're in the, the meet, like the, the back half here of uh, yeah. conference play and conference tournament season will be here in just a couple weeks. And then it's March Madness. Like it's uh we're we're nearing uh nearing the end here and it's funny because we still just don't have a good feel for who's actually good and who's not um which yeah. hey it's different like you don't want it to be like baylor and gonzaga every year the sport would be yeah. pretty boring if uh if that was the case um and the fun of all of the like when this podcast comes out there are 30 days until selection sunday so we really are on the home stretch under a month wi- that's wild um wake forest are they a tournament team for you now uh maybe um the thing that's actually gonna harm them and i guess we'll see how much it harms them is that the acc sucks big time (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, very stinky conference with no serious teams in it Mm -hmm. but um that being said the bubble this year is the bubble as Mm -hmm. usual it's not very good i don't think anybody's shocked by that my one of my one of my favorite things is when announcers are like the bubble team is really going to have their back against the wall for this one. They're going to come out and play hard. And it's like, well, they're a bubble team for a reason, brother. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, I am sorry. I'm feeling frustrated with some people. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, I think they're going to have a real shot because they've got some good wins mixed in. Like they just beat UNC. They really could have beaten UNC by way more than they did. I think they mm-hmm. led by 26, 27 at one point. Only one by seven, but a win is a win no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, got a home win over Duke, home win over Virginia Tech, road win over Wisconsin, which is going to really come into play as they're both bubble teams. But I would argue they need one more really good win to state their case, and they're going to have two opportunities coming up um, here in about a week and a half. Road Miami, because we all think, yeah, Miami's probably like, what, a six, seven seed somewhere in there? Yeah. I mean, if they road, keep it up, though, they might move up. They have a possibility yeah. of moving up. I think Miami is a... Because, if, like you said, the ACC's bad, and like you could see if they were the one to take over. You can just pile up wins. Yeah. Uh, so, road Miami, and then February 22nd, road NC State. Hmm. If you can win one of those and hold serve in the rest, and really the rest are not like much. It's Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, BC, Syracuse. Mm-hmm. If you go 5-1, and one, I think you're on the good side of the bubble, which would be, I mean... And at that point, God forbid for old Steve Forbes, all you got to do is not lose to like a 13 seed in the ACC tournament again. He seems like a likable dude. I, I hope and they play person. a fun brand of uh, basketball, the Deeks. Yeah. Um, oh, they're for also, sure. yeah. Um, there you go. Um, speaking of North Carolina, a lot of North Carolina basketball folks on this edition <laughs> of the program because there's a lot happening. It's funny, uh, Will, where, um, so I was almost, or I was close to, I think, being born in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. My dad was stationed over there. Um, and my mom worked in an office. I remember she told me, like, North Carolina college basketball is just, it's so different. It, 
than anywhere else in the country where she was just always amazed at how much they loved, whether it was UNC, Duke, um, even UNC Wilmington, the Seahawks, like just Raleigh and the Wolfpack and like how much they cared and how big of a conversation that was um, just decades ago. But um, it's just, it's a different, different thing entirely. My mom just was always amazed by uh, the obsession with college basketball in the, in the state of North Carolina um, and where she was in Wilmington. But that is neither here nor there. Just a little uh, Debbie Thomas anecdote here for you, Will, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> for the good folks. Um, all that being said, NC State is now a top 25 team, and I think we deserve whatever bump um, NC State gets, uh, their head coach gets for um, making the top 25 and uh, sticking around longer. I think us putting the pressure uh, as a, hey, hot seat to watch candidate coming into the yeah. year. I, I'm not saying that we're fully responsible for the Wolfpack turnaround, but I'm also not <laughs> not saying that well. You got to take the good with the bad because mm. we there are three coaches that I'm specifically recalling being on hot seats that I went on record as slamming. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin Cates, who has really yes. done a great job this year. Uh, Jared Haas mm-hmm. at a Stanford who is getting fired. And Bobby Hurley, who's still... Not good. Anyway, no. um, NC State, I think this is a good and fun team, and it's a really good story. Um, in the mess that is the ACC, you could make a legitimate argument. Uh, I don't know if I would be fully behind it, but you could mm. make the case that they are the second best team because mm. I think Virginia's, Virginia's clearly out in front. Uh, I think that's an easy case to make. And Miami probably is the real number two, mm. but... I don't know that you could comfortably say Duke or UNC are better. Uh, I don't think you could comfortably say Pitt or Clemson are better. And so, I mean, they've taken advantage of this. They really don't turn the ball over at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Terquavion Smith, really fun player to watch. Uh, DJ Burns, I feel like this is his fifth college, even though I know mm-hmm. it's his third. But that guy, whenever he's got the stamina to go up, he is quite the fun player to watch. And uh, the underrated get they got, though, was Jarkel Joyner from Ole Miss because he never leaves the court. He's playing 88% of possible minutes, mm. very efficient score from uh, two and from three, very good at getting to the foul line, never turns the ball over. They just, it, it's nice to see him succeed because, you know, I think when we talked about them at the time, we said, you know, based on his history at UNC Wilmington, there wasn't anything obvious that would say this wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it's just one of those where it took the right mix. It took the right amount of time and they have gotten lucky in some close games, but even so 19 and six is 19 and six. And there it would take a real shocking collapse. And I don't want to speak it into existence by any means uh, for them to end up missing the tournament. I think. Yeah, I think they're in and I, I wonder it would be wild. I don't know who had before the season, is Clemson out? Is there any way Clemson still makes the tournament or no? Clemson can get in. Mm-hmm. Um, again, fortunate that they have racked up the number of wins they have, but I would not put them on the right side of the bubble as of now. Mm-hmm. Um, that Boston College loss is just so bad to have on your record. And South Carolina too. But mm-hmm. to me, like, okay, that's early season. You didn't know South Carolina was going to be South Carolina. Um, losing to this Boston College is... Ugh. So I would say... You're kind of looking at a deal where if Clemson can at least finish four and three, they're going to be within range of making it. 
Hmm. And as long as NC State, as long as NC State goes three and three or better to finish mm-hmm. the season, they should be on the right side of the bubble. And I really think they're going to go like four and two or five and one because. Again, week ACC, the only game that I think they're going to be a dog in is at Duke to end the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, aside from that, it's a good team, good players on it. Uh, they're going to be a frisky little eight seed you got to deal with, eight or a nine. Who had before the year Clemson, NC State, and Wake making the NCAA tournament potentially? <laughs> Clemson, NC State, and Wake all getting in while UNC might not. Well, speaking of that, are they headed to the NIT? They lose to Wake this week. Obviously, it seems like a lot of folks are enjoying... Um, it's hard to like get a read on like how folks outside of Chapel Hill feel about Hubert Davis because he said he was... I think he said something where he was complaining about um, foul calls and the foul disparity for... I think it was the Duke-UNC game on Saturday night because um, I think Duke shot a lot more free throws and a lot of folks were like, yes, this is what we've been complaining about playing UNC for like the last year and a half is the discrepancy in UNC shooting a lot more free throws. And basically what he said is like, we are accustomed to shooting a lot more free throws than our opponent in this game. It didn't. So clearly there must be something off. And folks were like, yeah, that's like, it's the, does he know the like meme on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> and like, that's what you, we were all thinking about. And I just, I don't know, like, it kind of speaks to it's just so weird because if it was another university if it like because it's unc the blip year last year is so strange like they're just everything about this year and last year and that run it felt so cinderella and then it's like they just oh it's a comeback down to earth season for that cinderella story last year and you're like well not really a bunch of folks came back and they thought they were gonna run it back and make another deep run, Baycott's back, Love's back, and like they should be actually better than a year mm-hmm. ago and a preseason top five team. And they're not looking at not even making the tournament. It's it's one of the weirder year and a half stretches of any college basketball team I remember in a long time, Will. Yeah, I mean, like you typically don't see teams that have a high amount of minutes continuity and were like reasonably, I mean, like, I think UNC finished like top 20 in Ken Palm. They were mm. not like, you know, the second best team in America by any means. Yeah. But like generally whenever a team that's, you know, we'll say 30-ish was probably their true ranking. Mm. Um, when they return as many minutes as UNC did, you would expect like, okay, was preseason number one kind of ridiculous? Yeah. But should they be top 10, top 15? Yeah, probably. Mm. And, you know, like you said, it's really hard to recall a similar example of a team bringing back as much as they have and just flopping. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the, so the last preseason top five team to miss it was the Nerlens Kentucky team. Mm. But that, I don't feel like that's a good comparison at all because yeah. Kentucky is pretty young. It's kind of, and it's not going to end up this extreme because that LSU team is worse, but the big baby LSU team the year after they made the final four. When pretty yeah. much everybody came back for the most part, uh, and they just straight up sucked. <laughs> I mean, they were awful, yeah. and so I I don't know, man. It's it's really hard to recall a true one to one because seeing the way they've played and how everything has gone has been pretty shocking. And I still maybe this is like a refusal to give up. I still think they're going to get in. They re- they can confirm that they're going to get in if they win five of their final seven. 
And, I mean, they have to beat Duke in the season finale at home. That is a non-negotiable must-win game. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be kind of the tell. If they can get to 20 regular season wins, I think they'll be fine. But if they go 4-3 and three and don't do anything like amazing in the ACC tournament, that's a first for a team. Mm-hmm. And so you don't miss the tournament, but you go from preseason AP number one to having to battle like I don't know, Oklahoma State for the right to play San Diego State in the next round. That's not exactly what you were thinking when you started the season on November 7th. No. It's a very conflicting year if you're John Grisham, right? Explain. (laughs) This is going to get super meta. As a John Grisham stan, Will. I I haven't read one of his books in a long time. I do know who the author is, and I remember reading Runaway Jury in middle school. It's a very good one. Uh, Camino Island, I just read uh, a, few okay, week, uh, yeah. a few months back. It was fantastic. Um, Book Thief, uh, set in Jacksonville, Florida. Yes. It's pretty great. Okay. He's just... I, I was actually talking to John Taylor Fangrass about this last night. I think that's why it came back up in my mind just now. But, like, he uh, he writes in such a way that you just breeze through it. But I was always embarrassed that I loved Grisham because it was one of those, oh, really? Grisham's one of your favorites. There's some that like in the the nerdy folks have just oh Stephen King is one of your favorites. Really, way to branch <laughs> out a little bit. Like you, Stephen King, pretty good at his job. You like his work. Um, you heard about this? You see this? And Grisham though, because I'm a Grisham guy and just love reading his stuff. And you can fly through it. He's just great writer. Short, concise sentences, very engaging, great dialogue. Love Grisham. Mm-hmm. So big and just seems like a really good, genuine dude. Um, and he's a North Carolina, like, I know he's a huge college basketball fan. Like, that's his jam. And he, you could see him on courtside. Like, just, Will, if you, like, Google John Grisham courtside, um, I think you'll see him a lot for Virginia and North Carolina games. So it's got to be a complicated year for him because he's, I think, a local Virginian. And Virginia, obviously, the best team in the ACC this year. But his Tar Heels now falling off a cliff. So for the Tar Heels to fall, Virginia had to rise. And I just, I wonder what huh. it's like in the Grisham household right now. Interesting. Yeah, I'm looking at this now. Okay, mm. so his son played at Virginia. At, uh, yeah. Okay, interesting. Well, good for him. I, oh, yeah, and The Firm. How could I forget The Firm? Well, I mean, he has a lot of books, man. The man is a... He does you have want to like talk 30, about content right? machine. John yeah. Grisham is a content machine. The the book nerds who tell you you can't like John Grisham or Stephen King, they got to they gotta get all that dip off their chip. Uh, <laughs> it's Have you ever... I don't know. Do you know the site Rate Your Music? <laughs> yes. Okay, have you seen the video of the guy? It's just titled "Guy Who Bases All of His Opinions on Rate Your Music." No, but I I know exactly where you're going with this. That's the feeling I get when I see reviews on Goodreads, mm. and it's just like, this book sucked because it wasn't as good as 1944. And it's like, okay, man, that's fine. Uh, I liked it. Mm-hmm. Can you let me like it? Gatekeeping book reading is a weird, weird thing to to be about because, hey, like if you look at the numbers, I remember we're really getting the weeds here with uh, book talk but uh <laughs> i think there's i a can't big... wait for somebody to also be like oh i know what reach your music is mm-hmm. yeah that's gonna be fun um do you do you ever use last fm i was a last fm yes. guy back in i the day. still use it i it's yeah. fun to go and compare that to spotify wrapped because mm. i've noticed spotify's do not measure the same uh dates i was such a dork so I, that, that was a big thing when i was in college and i was so protective of my like top i think it was like my top six and like what my most known musical choices were because i was like Mm -hmm. hey if i'm listening too much of something that's a little embarrassing i have to 
I have to go off it for a little bit because it's getting tracked into my last FM and I don't want people to get the wrong impression here. Uh, I have a very, very capital, uh, capital G good taste and, uh, mm. in music. So I was very, very careful. What a dumb, dumb thing to think about. But, um, there, there was a period of my life, like three months, my freshman yeah. year of college where I was very into, um, what we'll call contemporary Christian rock. Yeah. Like, um, building 49 is the one that comes to okay. mind like those type of groups yeah uh, shout out to all my hypo heads out there because apparently that's one of his favorite bands do you um, listen to good christian fun no what is that you would love good christian fun the guy the, he's one of the co-hosts of gilmore guys which was a legendary oh, podcast yeah back in the day he grew up in the church and all that and he like goes through like stuff like that of like the christian bands that he listened to and like they just <laughs> go through all these different investigations and like the that just the subculture but it's a yeah. it's a fantastic podcast you would love good christian fun i will save i'll listen to it after after this yeah. and but... report back let me know good but spotify i don't know if they still do but they used to have mm. this feature that was basically incognito mode for yeah. spotify and you would flip i would flip it on, <laughs> put on like building 429 or stuff like that because like oh i don't want my animal collective uh mm -hmm. scrabbles or whatever to uh to be taken down by uh the david crowder band yeah sean mcdonald you don't mm. want to get him on there who else is in there <laughs> too much hill song you're like this oh, God, is yeah bethel or whatever mm -hmm. There's so many. Um, what was the one? The fish. Um, what was? Uh, I can't do this anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's remember some uh, Christian alternative rock bands. Yeah, a skillet. Um, but the last thing I'll say on the book thing, though, and this is to bring it all the way back to North Carolina basketball, because they go hand in hand, uh, Will Warren. And this is what, like, I think North Carolina basketball fans are kind of in a bad place this year. So this is hmm. some a positive spin uh, to kind of get away, uh, to step back and not take the college basketball too seriously, because mm -hmm. it, it's been hard to go to the national title and now be staring at the NIT uh, the following year. And I, I think uh, with the book reading and stuff, I was re like, it was my last semester uh ut and i like one of my papers i was like writing about like the fall of like why people don't read anymore and it it was something like 50 percent of uh college graduates never read a book after graduating college ever again like 50 percent and then it's like so, yeah but then you go through like the amount of different statistics of like who doesn't ever read and i still will come to this conclude or i will still advocate for this take will and I, this is like my snobbiest take. It's such a snobby take and I hate it snobby. But I'm it's, so excited for this. I feel this in my bones. A pet peeve of mine is someone who says like, I read 13 books this year. And then you found you find out that all 13 were audio books. So when they're writing around, I'm like, no, you, you listened oh. to 13 podcasts this year. You listened to 13. I wasn't 13 where I thought you were going to go with that. I don't like it. It's not reading. I don't qualify that. And we, we, the studies show that it's not the same, like sitting down and yeah. looking at it is completely different. And you retain so much more when you read by actually staring at the pages and going at that speed. It just, it works your brain in a different way. It works your brain harder. It's not the same. So when people say yeah. I'm reading this book and I'm like, are you reading this book? Or are you listening to a book on tape while you're commuting? And I understand we all have a limited amount of time. Just don't call it reading a book. You're listening mm -hmm. to a book, which is a very, very different thing. So if you were to so think snobby. about this in a basketball sense, uh, North Carolina and Oregon State, uh, they were listening to the books. They were not doing <laughs> the work. Uh, all the while, uh, Houston, Houston's mm. been reading. 
Do you share this take? Is this is this snobby? Is this fair? I, I've never actually thought about it, but I mean, like, yeah, I don't retain it nearly as well as when I'm doing an audible right? versus like the book is in front of me because there's so many more distractions. Yes, and it just works your brain differently. Like, it's just you're not reading a book. You read zero books if you listen to thirteen. You read zero. Is what that take is. Oh God, it like it's so snobby, but I would just. It, I can't control it. Well, it's a terrible take. I understand. Sorry, folks. I know you're all busy, but you're not reading books. You're listening. <laughs> yeah. How about you uh, grow up and listen to a podcast? Why don't you flip that little lawnmower on and uh, instead of firing up, uh, I don't know, the Da Vinci Code, that mm-hmm. seems like a like a popular first baby's first audio book, mm-hmm. uh, like a book that you know is bad. So you're just like, well, I didn't pay anything for it because I got it for free on Audible. Mm-hmm. Um uh, when you flip that little lawnmower on, you need to be reading that book. Also, that's a great analogy because, like, what are they not doing uh, to children? We're like, read to your kids. Like, that actually is a big thing is when you read to your kids, they retain, like, it's important for their brain development. They're not like, put some headphones on the kid and let him listen. <laughs> yeah, while that, kid, while that kid's benching 135, <laughs> put those little, put those AirPods in and let turn that kid loose. There's one more take. Uh, uh, it's going to be off air. It's another off air take, but it's a, <laughs> this one I got to say for off air. Uh, but remind well, me. Whenever we hit the off season, I would like to do a show where it's each other's uh, five like most indefensible opinions you have. Okay. Like, like the ones you know are unpopular and you're just like, well, screw it. I, it's my opinion and I believe it. Damn it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so game for that. I'm so game. Um, which naturally leads us to who the best team in the Big 12 is right now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, folks, it's you. Is it? Yeah, it's you. You're the best team. Um, so my honest-to-God best guess is it's Texas, which is not at all what I saw coming hmm. um, once the whole beard thing went down. And really not at all what I saw coming after the Tennessee game because mm-hmm. that game highlighted all of their deficiencies, which is that they're not playing defense nearly as well as they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and they really still haven't fixed that. Like I, I thought they played good defense against kansas state i thought they were fine against baylor i thought they were actively bad against kansas on defense Uh, but at the same time kansas wasn't very good either so it kind of washed out um but their offense is so good it kind of doesn't matter i i mean they keep racking up these wins i know they lost to kansas but it's still eight and three in the big 12 in a year where i mean like really 12 wins might win you the conference which is absurd to say that going 67% could make you the sole winner. And like, I don't know if that's gonna happen, but mm. we're at it, we're staring down a scenario where it's like seven games left, Texas is gonna be favored in five. Mm. And so if they go 13 and five, I don't think there's a chance anybody shares it with them. And really, I mean like 13 and five on paper is like, all right, you won, but at what cost? So, but that doesn't, I mean, that doesn't show you the full picture of, like, that's a really impressive record. I mean, that's just the meat grinder of this conference. And there's a very realistic scenario where, let's say Texas gets through 12 and 6, 13, 5, whatever. Mm. There are, like, six teams right behind them that could all finish with the exact same record. Like, Mm. Baylor, Kansas, Iowa State, Kansas State, TCU, Oklahoma State, all could finish, like, 11 and 7 or 10 and 8. All could tie for second. You could go, you realistically could go 11 and 7 and be the two seed. Hmm. 
which is nuts to say, but that's what we're dealing with here. Like a historically insane conference to try and win games in. That's, has he done enough? Do you think he's now, are you sold that he deserves the job full time? I, I think they, I would personally give it to him. Mm. I don't think they're going to. Um, mm. It seems, because the buzz out there is like, he, he's going to have to win the big, it's it's like a yes and. He has to win the mm. Big 12 and he has to go to the Elite Eight or further. Um, which is, I mean, like in a tournament where it's like, yeah, it is it is like a weighted roulette wheel of like, yeah, you can be really good, but on the wrong night, you could be bounced. Um, There's also a real chance that we get Marquette in Texas in like an Elite Eight situation, yeah. Sweet 16. That would be fun. Or you, you honestly could get Tennessee in Texas again. Or it could be a deal where I, I really don't think any of these big 12 teams are going to be a one seed just because mm. they're cannibalizing each other. Yeah. Um, but in the event that one does, like, I, I don't think this could happen, but you could have a final four of like Texas, Kansas or Texas Baylor or Texas, Iowa State. Do you think this is like something that, because it seems more and more like Gonzaga is going to end up in the big 12 in basketball. I think it's just, Probably. it seems like we're inching closer because it's a money thing, right? Like it's just... They're inching closer and closer uh, to join the Big 12 in the basketball setting. But I wonder if that's like one, even with the money, it's like the Maryland taking the Big 10 money in football. We're mm-hmm. like, yeah, you took that money, but now you're like the one seed days are probably over. Like you gobbling up wins and finishing 35 and two every regular season are gone because you're now moving into the best basketball conference. And look, you'll still recruit really well. You'll still be a well-coached team. But like, are you sure? Are you sure the money's worth it? Because Maryland punted on ever winning the big 10 or winning a conference ever again when they made the jump from the acc to the big 10 and yeah the money's great but like what are you playing for you're playing for fourth in the big 10 east every single year yeah and with the big 12 specifically the argument and i guess you got to go kind of like what last decade or so Mm -hmm. to present to really make it fit the argument would be that you're more battle tested but the evidence is really more that you're just more exhausted so I went to Torvik just now because he's got mm. the tourney stats and he's got my one of my favorite stats, performance against seed expectation, which is just mm. like, how many games did you win versus what your seed normally wins? Mm. Uh, the Big 12 is the second worst conference over the last decade mm. uh, at performing a seed expectation. They've won 11 fewer games than they should have. Only the Mountain West is worse. Mm. And so uh, I agree with you. Like it's, it's fun to watch. There is not a bad Big 12 game possible mm-hmm. maybe some of the texas tech on the road ones aren't very good but even so it's like texas tech probably would make the ncaa tournament if they played in the sec um so it, it, it's it's a great thing to watch and at the same time it is probably killing all of these teams before they even make the big dance because so if you look at the uh, again torvik ratings here this is the ranking of one through eight in the conference standings mm-hmm. 14th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 19th, 20th, 23rd, 17th. So there's no like obvious top end teams, but there are eight top 25 teams. That is brutal to try and work your way through. And so, yeah, and that's I don't every know. year. And it's only going to get yeah. tougher with Houston joining the fold next year. Yeah. So you add Houston and possibly Gonzaga, and it's going to be nuts. Even yeah. I mean, with that's... Texas and Kansas leaving. And it's like, are you sure you want this? If you're sorry, te- no, Texas and Kansas, Texas and Oklahoma. Yeah. Like Gonzaga, are you sure? Is the money worth <laughs> it? Are you are you struggling in that small university like setting? Like it's pretty good. WCC's pretty good. Are you sure you want to make that jump? Are you sure the money's worth it? And, and the funny thing is like 
we remember how it felt when like the Big East kind of cratered and mm. you lost like a big chunk of what made uh, like not perfectly made the Big East special, but you saw like West Virginia go, Pitt, yeah. Notre Dame, Louisville, UConn, Cincy, and they kind of got better. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it's great. It's fewer teams, but like pound for pound, it's a pretty nasty conference to work your way through. And you wonder if the same thing's going to happen to the Big Twelve, where like the big name boys leave. But somehow it's just like, okay, we're even more concentrated now. The money is more evenly split, and we're just going to kill each other for two months until we get to March. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, we'll see what happens. How, how's like, that for a rosy take of your Gonzaga? <laughs> I mean, but it's real. Like, Gonzaga, it's real. It's, that's what you're staring at if you make yeah. this jump. Um, last big thing before we do your rewrap up here with stats that caught your eye this week, Will. Um, Defector, which is a very good website that you should go subscribe to if you are not already. Uh, fantastic writing, like specifically uh, Drew McGarry, friend of the pod, David Roth, um, but Ray Ratto is still, and I will maintain, my favorite sports writer and has mm -hmm. been for over a decade now because he is funny as hell, always. Mm -hmm. Like, he's just, I, w I would kill to write like one tenth as well as uh, Ray Ratto can in like a thousand words or less. Like, he's just fantastic. But Ray Ratto did not write this particular piece well. It was, let me check my notes here, Kim Pomeroy who wrote for Defector. And it's about the the, the flap technical rule that mm. uh, Fran Fischilla was tweeting about today. Jay Billis doesn't like it. Uh, another friend of the program. But it seems like no one's happy about the flop technical. What do you make of the piece and what do you make of how the rule has been enforced in college basketball to this point? fascinating uh, piece in the whole. So Ken goes through, his argument is that it's actually limited some of the worst parts of flopping because mm. uh, kids are a little more scared to just openly do it now. Uh, and it has like offensive fouls are down. Um, some of the like class B technicals are, they're dwindling as the season goes on. They're really high those first two weeks, mm. but they've kind of dwindled the later we've gotten. Um, and I mean, personally, me, I have seen more flops like not go, not go rewarded with like a technical, but just go uncalled in general. Like mm. it's just they fall down and like, OK, play on. Who cares? You mm. didn't earn that charge call uh, and it wasn't a block. So uh, I I don't know. It, the It's I'm stammering. But it, what I'm saying here is like. The big test is going to be March. Hmm. The big test is, do we get to an NCAA tournament game where a referee, and it's going to be Pat friggin' Adams, has to make a hard decision. Mm -hmm. And that hard decision is on what's, to everybody's eyes, basically a pretty obvious flop. Mm -hmm. But normally would just be a play on or a, or a block. Mm -hmm. Do they give that technical? I think they and do. That, and that... And when that happens, will that decide the outcome of the game? That is going to be what everybody's waiting to see. It is funny that it's kind of slipped under the national radar until now, because mm. it was a huge story that first week, and it kind of hasn't been since. Yeah. But I I think, I, I really do hope we don't see one. But in the event we see one, that's going to be the tell for how long this lasts and how happy it makes people. Well, I think... Um... The Tennessee-Auburn game was kind of instructive in this, where I told folks after, where the Auburn fans were upset about the non-call that ended that game. What I told folks, and I don't know if you shared this sentiment, is just that, like, hey, um, once Auburn got the flop technical foul by those officials earlier in the game, 
they should have operated under the assumption that they were not going to get any benefit of the doubt three-point foul calls like you should go ahead yeah. and check out like the you're that's going to go your way after multiple because like they're not calling that immediately like so if they see it once yeah. they're probably not going to call it like you said they're it's, it's a repeated not, offender thing right and then you're like well now we need it to be called to tie this game and send it to overtime it's like well that's just a bad strategy because i just i don't think they were going to call that based on earlier uh an earlier uh flop technical foul call because you're already on their radar as a flopping uh shot shooting uh jump shooting team so i just think that's what we'll see is i think we'll can i think officials if i had to guess is they try and call that early to Mm. push them away from trying that late in game so they don't have to put be put in a situation where they have to call it uh, at the buzzer and decide potentially a tournament game so it's like you call it early like hey don't try this because we're not Don't calling do this, this. <laughs> yes. So, and and with what you said, I, I think I share a sentiment in that, like, people are going to want you to say, like, yeah, call it early, but also call the right thing late in the game. Mm-hmm. And I normally, yeah, I agree. But referees are human. Mm. They're going to screw up because, I mean, that's referees. That's everybody. We mm. all screw up. So... Uh, I don't think I'm shocked when I see, like like you said, Wendell Green wraps. I think it, he wrapped his legs or tried to something or other against a Tennessee player in like the f- late first half. Mm-hmm. Uh, got called for the flop warning after he had already done it once yes. or twice. And so they tried to let it go a time or two, and then we kept doing it. They're like, okay, that's enough. We're cutting mm-hmm. it out. And, you know, he generally didn't do it the rest of the way right. until that final play. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, like, I stand with you of, like, would, I, would you, as a basketball fan, like to see the exact right call made every single time? Sure. But we're never going to get there. This mm-hmm. isn't, like, baseball where we are going to have robot ups one day. We're not going to have robot refs. Mm-hmm. And even then, I don't know that I want the robot refs making the flop tech call in the final seconds. It's going to be fun, though, when we see the first uh, manager just, like, beat a computer into the ground for a bad ball and strike call. Like, just smash the computer. It's going to be awesome. Office space style. Is Don Mattingly still a manager? No, he is no longer the Marlins manager. That would have been my pick. Yeah. Uh, Because in my head, he is a guy who would, like, ask to see the computer's manager, (laughs) and he just beats up the system admin. Mm. Have you ever asked that in a restaurant? Have you ever asked to speak to the manager? No. No. No chance. No. I'm not I'm not a confrontation guy either. Like I no, just, eat your kibble and move on. 100%. 100%. Eat your kibble. I like that. Um it's on well, the brain cuz Cedric's just dispensed in his little bowl. There you go. Shout out to Cedric. No Cedric on the pod uh today. Where Watch is Cedric? See if we can there. Oh, he is. He is. Look at Cedric. He's got some searching to do. He's uh he's out there searching. <laughs> Does he make biscuits? Aren't we all? Well, yes. Many. Okay, I learned what that was on Sunday. We went to the Knoxville Cat Cafe uh, on Sunday afternoon, yes. okay. and it was it was a delight. It was a nice time. But uh, go support, and if you're a local Knoxville resident, go adopt a cat today. Uh, what what, are, what is it called again? I know what the one Scruffies? in Charleston is called. But I think I don't it's Scruffy's Cat okay. Cafe. I think I'm pretty sure it's Scruffy's Cat Cafe. Um, but this black cat kept getting up next to me and just pressing down on this little pillow over and over again. And they were like, "Oh, he's making biscuits," and I'm like, "Come again." And it's like, he, <laughs> and he's making biscuits. And I was like, I did not know that was a thing. But then I was researching it. Like it, it soothes them when they do it, yes. apparently. 
So that's a great thing. And then the, uh, the other thing I've learned as a cat owner is they want you to scratch their head a lot. Mm. Uh, and so quick, <laughs> quick digression before we get back on topic, mm-hmm. Cedric's thing to do is he'll do, he'll do the biscuit thing in bed. And then he looks at me and he just goes like that. He squawks at me mm-hmm. and that's his way of being like, scratch my head, you idiot. Huh. And so he, uh, he's learned how to demand it. And I, like a sucker, I do it every time, which mm-hmm. encourages him to keep doing it. Yeah. It's over now. Like yeah. you have to do it. He, he's expecting it. <laughs> um, which naturally leads us to the, the final topic here today. Will um, stats or stat singular that has caught your eye over the last week in college basketball is what my friend i'm gonna go so these are torvik's numbers since christmas day and it's a three-parter because mm. i was like let's go big this week so i'm gonna ask you three questions mm. we'll see how close you get to the answer so who has been the best team in the big east since christmas it's not yukon um it is Xavier? Not UConn. it is creighton Oh. Creighton is number four hmm. nationally since Christmas Day. They have been on fire. Huh. Um, what's interesting is they're now well outperforming the preseason metrics consensus. Uh, but, but I still recall like, us being pretty high on Creighton before the year. Yeah, but they're now like in line with where they were in the AP poll before the year. So it's yeah. all caught up. Good for them. Play a fun style. You love Baylor Schneiderman. Like you're you're all in on Creighton. Creighton. From six and six to sixteen and eight. I mean. Pretty dadgum good team. Mm. All right, second question. What is the conference with the most top 10 teams in terms of like quality of play since uh, Christmas Day? Um, I'm going to go Pac-12. <laughs> it's not the Pac-12. That would be awesome, though. Yeah. Um, is it a small, is it a non-Power 5? No, it's it's a big conference. It is a big conference. It's definitely yeah, not the big SEC. Is, I will. I, it is the SEC. Is it really? Uh, three SEC teams in the top ten since Christmas Day. Alabama number one, obviously. Mm. Tennessee number three. Texas A and M number nine. Wow. The Aggies have been playing really, really well for about two months now. They have hmm. come out of that early season tailspin that we talked about. Um, they're playing their way into the tournament, and they're playing their way in at such a rate that they are going to be a crazy dangerous like 10 seed by the time they get in hmm. i mean I they really with, could be a 10 seed that's like top 25 in ken Palm. i thought with uh ucla and arizona i was like that, that, that was just yeah. something I, I was like i feel like that's enough UCLA, um, was, ucla was top 10 and the big 12 had uh i think the big 12 and the big 10 both had two hmm. and the big 12s were i want to say texas and iowa state mm-hmm. so all right where are we going last uh, number of undefeated teams since December 25th. Conference. Um, uh, it's two conferences. Neither are power. It is, we'll, we'll say they are, one is a one bid league and one is not. Um, I, think you, I, I, I am confident you will get one of these. So one is a one big league, one big league and one is not. One is, they're both mid-majors, but one mm. is one of the better, I would say one of the three best mid-major conferences. WCC? Correct. Okay. And then so, what's this? And then it's another one. It's a super small one. Yeah. Um, and can you name the team in the WCC that's undefeated since Christmas? St. Mary's? It is St. Mary's. They are 10-0. Yeah. And, and so the other one is Big Sky Team Eastern Washington. I never would have gotten that. 12 and 0 since hmm. Christmas Day. 
Um, not a lot on mm. the books about these guys, but they own the nation's longest win streak at 14. Hmm. Um, they are electric shooters. And I mean, they got a real shot at going undefeated in the big sky, which, you know, like to the layperson probably means nothing, but to a team that's on target to be a 15 seed, pretty mm. dangerous if you come in with like a 20 game win streak. Do they play on a red court like their football team? No, but they, they have that same awesome EWU Eagle logo. Mm. It's a good look. I remember they were an innovative offense in football uh, a couple years ago. I think Bo Baldwin installed yes, like Bo a Baldwin. really, really fun one. Um, that kind of speaks to our thing where we're like, yeah, we have our Tennessee and Michigan love, or you have your Michigan love, I have my Tennessee love, but then you have to identify with some other smaller programs to keep the juices flowing because it gets boring it, if that's all you have. It keeps me so yeah. much more sane caring mm-hmm. about like random teams versus exclusively investing in I mean, that's why I was, I watch Hawaii and I uh, love the armed forces. So like I'll watch air force. I love watching air force. I love Navy and army. And then I I'm still adamant. Like I was very upset that uh, the Naval Academy did not pivot to the air raid um, Mm. with this coaching change where I'm like, I want one of them to at least run the air raid. And then the other, the other two can run the the triple. All three should not be running the triple. That should be a rule. At least one does the air raid. Couple more things here in Eastern Washington Mm. that I think should be known. Um, three of the best names I've seen all season. I'm going to say them out loud. Okay. Angelo Allegri. Yes. Great alliterative name. Steel Venters. Okay. Uh, Steel with an E at the end, like Chambers. Definitely not a real person, but continue. Uh, and the number one favorite might be the best name I've heard all season. Cedric Coward. You're biased. <laughs> and you want to know the amazing thing? Mm-hmm. Mr. Cedric Coward, whoever he is, number one in America in two-point percentage. He is hitting 80% of his twos. So he's a big. He's 6'6". Six, six. Hmm. He's a 6'6 he's a six, six small forward that is just absurdly good at hitting twos. He's just, uh, like, I, I just have I this idea. I bet he can leap out of a gym. I just imagine him being, like, the Ben Simmons of uh, the mid-majors, where he's like, unless it's a perfect shot right under the rim, I'm not taking it. I'm, I'm not taking any shots anywhere else. Thrilled to share that uh, Mr. Cedric Coward's Instagram bio says, certified bucket. I love that for him. Uh, yes, go Eagles. There you go. Will. I, I guess we have to say go Birds this week. Sorry. I'm not doing that. I don't like yeah, the Eagles. See, I don't I don't know. I'm, I'm, a dirty bird. I'm, I'm on I'm team Falcon. need a good game. I would like a good game as well. But... Uh, if that if the that thing that people were going nuts over earlier in the week about the quote leaked uh Super Bowl score, mm. would love for that to come to fruition because thirty seven thirty four would be awesome. The script stuff got old very quickly. Yeah, a lot of bad tweets. A lot of bad tweets. It got bad very, very quickly. Um, though I'm try- the one about J.R. Smith reading his NBA final script was pretty good, though. Mm-hmm. Oof. Um, stats by Will. Com. Go subscribe over there today if you are not already. Uh, great, great college basketball content. So make sure you're locked in there. Follow him on Twitter at stats by Will. All that good stuff. Uh, anything else you want to plug as we wrap up here on a Thursday evening, my friend? Minor announcement of sorts. If you are a Field of 68 newsletter subscriber, I will have mm-hmm. a piece coming out in there on, I think, Saturday is what I've been told. Uh, and then Monday, if you go to my site, there will be a uh, look into all 32 conferences and what member of the conference projects to have the biggest impact in March. Like Which look team lines up the most with previous good teams? 
Goodman Hoops Stats by Will, a partnership that we always thought was inevitable. <laughs> I've always said you're the Robbie Hummel of college basketball writing. Well, I've always uh, said that. Robbie's voice is so much better than mine. Well, it's different. We, you know, I've never seen anything he's written. The written voice is different than the auditory, That's the auditory voice. Um, well, thank you as always, my friend. Make sure, folks, that you are uh, reading books, not listening to them, because they are not uh, the same thing as we have <laughs> outlined here on this college basketball podcast. Those are the important things. Go check out where John Grisham is on the sidelines this season. Uh, I feel like he's got a bit popped up at a couple of these UVA games. They're they're great. Um, and all that good stuff. Will, thank you as always, my friend. And I will talk to you next week. Thanks for having me on. All right, hello. Welcome back. Chase Thomas Podcast, taping this late on a Thursday evening. Cousin Logan's back. Super Bowl weekend coming up. LSAT for Logan. Busy weekend. Uh, being studious and also having fun. You got the best of both worlds. Uh, preparing for law school and also uh, preparing for uh, what should be a really fun Super Bowl matchup between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs. Logan, good evening, sir. How are you? Doing good. Just excited for the Super Bowl weekend. What's new with you in the last week? Uh, what's uh, give me something new that uh, you've read, you've seen outside of the LSAT? What's what's new with Cousin Logan in Los Angeles, California, right now? Oh man, I've been I've been here like all week just mm-hmm. studying. I've left the house like only a couple times. Uh, I can't think of anything outside of my head that's new out here. Does your cat uh, do? Does it? Pat biscuits. Have you ever heard of that? Patting biscuits. Yeah. Well, yeah. Some people call it making muffins, which doesn't make any sense because muffins are a batter, mm-hmm. not a dough. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, I call it. I always call it making biscuits. So and they yeah, do it too. I that. learned what that was on Sunday. Mm-hmm. My wife and I went to. She wanted to go to a cat cafe here in Knoxville. Never been to one. Yeah. And went into the cat cafe, and the one this black one uh, came up next to me. It was just pressing down on this pillow just over and over again. And I was like, what is happening? And they're like, he's making biscuits. And I was like, excuse me? What, what is making biscuits? And apparently it's therapeutic. The whole thing. Yeah, so they do common. it all the time. They like, yeah, that's why the cat trees, they have like the twine on them so they can mm-hmm. like, you know, claw at them. And yeah, when they're showing you affection, they do it. My black cat especially does it. He's like really affectionate. So, but he hurts me because he's got razor sharp claws sometimes I would trim them enough sometimes. <laughs> mm. What are their names again? Dundee. His name's after the office, Dunder Mifflin, the Dundee Awards. Mm-hmm. So, And then Georgia. Georgia. Named after the state we're from. <laughs> there you go. Dundee and Georgia. Do y'all... What about the dog situation at the house? Do you still... You have another chocolate lab, right? We have a... a she's a mix. She's half chocolate lab, half border collie, but she okay. looks completely like a lab. Uh-huh. But she's so smart. Like she lets herself out to go to the bathroom, and mm. she, yeah, she's ridiculously smart. And then we have a white dog. So that the the lab uh, border collie is Brandy, and then the uh, we have a Jindo. She's white, and like she looks like a snow fox, and she's uh, her name's Whiskey. Yeah, she's still around. I know Whiskey. She was there when yeah. I was there in LA because she's yeah. getting up there, right? Like, how old is Whiskey? I think she just turned ten. Okay, yeah, Whiskey's. Whiskey's a legend. I remember, but the the first the last chocolate lab y'all had super sweet, super yeah, sweet. Mm. Yeah, that yeah, one was a nice one. Yeah. 
Um, well, Logan, um, it's uh, Super Bowl Sunday, like we uh, said, coming up here on Sunday evening. Um, my first question to you. Your favorite Super Bowl storyline heading into Sunday is what, Logan? Uh, definitely the Kelsey brothers playing. That's uh, hmm. that's going to be really cool to see. Either way, uh, if I'm correct, I don't think we've ever seen brothers go head-to-head in the Super Bowl. Uh, we've seen coaches as brothers do it, but I don't think players... I don't think the Bennett's uh, ever did, right? They never, Martellus and... I think, well, actually, Martellus and Michael, did they go at it with Eagles Patriots when he was a tight end and um michael was a defensive that's end. something you'd have to tell me i i'm not sure yeah but if it's anyone else that i i, I think i saw something somewhere where they said brothers had never gone head to head uh but yeah they should definitely let uh you know the kelsey mom donna kelsey do the the coin toss that would mm-hmm. be really really cool but mm-hmm. yeah i think it's really cool to see the brothers face off and I'm curious who gets the first hug after that Super Bowl, the winner or the loser from the mom. And well, it's uh, good. <laughs> it's good that it's to they both play offense. That would be just so awkward if they were on opposite sides of the ball and they could actually go up at each other and might have, that would I just be. <laughs> I don't know if you've got Trayvon and Stefan playing against each or wait, not Trayvon. Uh, wait, no, you're right. Trayvon, Trayvon Diggs and yeah, okay. Diggs, yeah. Yeah, I don't know why I thought that was wrong. Anyway, if you have them going head-to-head in the Super Bowl, that'd mm. be super cool to see. Like, just watching them play in, what was it, the flag football game in the Pro Bowl, mm. where uh, I think Stefan ended up throwing a pass on one of the plays, and he got picked off by his brother and, mm. you know, ran it back almost all the way. But, you know, the two brothers going head-to-head, that's, that's really cool to me. Like... Uh, that's int- did you watch the Pro Bowl in full? Did you sit down and watch the whole thing? No, definitely not. <laughs> no, I watched. I watched some of the different skill events. I mm. I didn't even see the uh, the game at all. Mm. Was I I didn't. Yeah, I haven't even seen highlights of of the game. The Pro Bowl is just like such a. It's just not football, you know. Mm. It's it's like you can play basketball without going too hard and hurting yourself and still be entertaining, but football is. Like, oh, he wasn't even trying to tackle him. Like, you got, like, Mac Jones out here running, like, 99-yard touchdowns because people don't want to tackle him. It's it's just kind of like, yeah, it's probably fun for the players, but for the fans, like, I get why, you know, I don't want to see anybody get hurt, and inevitably somebody's going to get hurt in the Pro Bowl if they go full contact. So I get why they do it. So I like to tune into, like, the skill challenges, the flag football, like, the stuff where they're actually kind of trying – like I, I don't really mind that they're not playing a serious game anymore. Like it's really cool to see like the long drive challenge and the dodgeball and everything. I don't know. I think if you're not gonna do it's just that's none of it's for me. I mean, we all remember the Sean Taylor just destroying that dude, uh the punter. Didn't he destroy a punter? Was it a punter or a kicker on that play? Do you know what I'm talking about? Years and yeah, years ago. Yeah. In the Pro he, Bowl. I think it was a punter. It may have been a kicker. It was one of the two. Uh, it was on special teams and just got yeah, rocked. Yeah, it was like right at the, it was right at the sideline. Yes. And yeah, he got I know, rocked. And yeah, you were like, this is the Pro Bowl. And they got rocked. And I think that was when the Pro Bowl died. When it was like, okay, we can't do this anymore for an exhibition game. Um, but I don't know. Like, all-star appearances, all-star games are just not not for me. Like, I'm, I'm good. I'm okay with the voting and... 
Pro Bowl voting and that sort of thing and that matter. Like all-star games in general, like for all yeah, sports? I don't, none of it interests me. Like I just, I don't need to see it because the players don't care. Like it's not a, it's not an event for, for me. I just, I'm not an exhibition guy. It's really hard for me to, to sink my teeth into stuff like that. It's just not, yeah. not my jam. Like, but I do think it's important to vote and it just helps when they folks retire. Um, you have some sort of, um, award system set up where we can, Hey, make better arguments as to why this player was better than this player, this, that, and the other. So you need like just benchmarks and stuff. But in terms of the viewing product, I don't think you can fix the Pro Bowl. I don't think you can fix a lot of these all-star games, like what MLB tried to do. And then people, uh, went again rebelled against them but i understood the logic of like hey whoever wins <clears throat> gets to um host uh the play like they're the host in the world series they're the home team like whichever co- to the al or the nl if they win then they host but it's like that's ridiculous because that should not influence who uh is the home team in a seven game series with the title on the line that's crazy you should just do best record and they Wait, went back so to the, that the ML- they wait the mlb is doing that or did that they did that for a couple of years and oh, did not okay. go well there was a lot of revolting yeah. but it was oh yeah it makes no it. sense but it was trying to get guys to care in the game where yeah. it's like oh home field advantage is on the line for the world series we need to go harder but it's like that's also not what we should have the world series be determined by is they got home field advantage because they won the all-star game what that's that's silly that's uh yeah. it's just that's, out of their control. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I don't think that the All-Star games necessarily need fixing. Like a sport like baseball, I don't understand why you couldn't just go out there and try. Yeah. You're not really, you know, not really putting your body at risk. So, like, mm. I don't know. I, like, it used to be driven by pride, you know. Back in the day, they used to have pride before, you know, they had millions and millions of dollars each. They had a lot of pride in just winning. Like, mm. And... Now those players like that are making the all-star teams are usually going to be your highest paid players and you're not going to be able to incentivize them with money. Like things like that you just can't fix, but like for football and basketball, like I don't necessarily think it needs fixing. I think it's more to honor the players that, you know, played an exceptional season and I think that we should be doing that every season and like, you know, paying our respect to those guys for what they did. Yeah, absolutely. Um, your favorite prop bet for Super Bowl Sunday is what? What do, What do you have here that you're oh, you're really locked? I like in on? this one. I like this one. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes completes his first pass plus two hundred. Huh. I like that one. Did you I put, see? Did you bet it? No, I haven't yet. But okay. I, I was gonna lock it in. Mm-hmm. That's your lock. Yeah. Why? Yeah. What was your rationale behind this? Why do you like a completion first? Well, look at his completion percentage. Mm. The odds are he's going to complete the pass. And his first pass, it, your first pass isn't usually, you know, a deep shot or like something crazy. This could be a screen. All I need mm. him to do, this could be a shuffle pass. Like, all I need him to do is complete the ball an inch forward on his first pass and... I double like I'll I'll triple my money. I'll That's take true. you know hundred bucks, turn that into three hundred bucks. That's not bad. That's a good one. Was there any other ones that stood out to you? I didn't like all the other bets because when I was looking at them, like mm. I always look at the bet before I look at the odds hmm. and think in my head who I would take. And if I ever see it, it's the opposite. I'll be like, all right, well I like that bet, and mm. like you know, but you know if I look at the odds first, I feel like it'll like 
be like, oh, no, 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 that makes sense. Like, True. Yeah, I'll just listen to what other people are saying instead of taking like into account what I've seen on the field. That's fair. Um, I, <laughs> It's funny, like when you were saying that, I'm like, I wonder what else, because it's, it's amazing how far we've come with everything you could get. Like I know I saw people were doing a deep dive into male country singers, how long they've done the national anthem, because you can bet on whether or not the anthem goes longer than two minutes. And for whatever reason, the men typically go under <laughs> the two minutes for the national anthem the male country singers and it's like we can bet on literally anything they're just narrowing it down of like what are the odds that this guy is gonna get in get it done in two minutes or less well and you heard I about just, the well Sorry, no, i was just gonna say going. like i can only imagine i just all these folks sitting around their couch and their wife's like why are you sweating watching the national anthem why are you tapping your foot and what what is the stopwatch you've got going over here and he's like it, no it's it's nothing sweetie it's, it's nothing and he's just put like a thousand dollars on this just incredibly arbitrary silly thing like that's where we're at so i've heard you can do the gatorade yes you can also bet on people uh streaking oh you hadn't hear, you didn't hear about, I think it was last Super Bowl. You didn't hear about it? Uh-uh. So I think it was, it was a YouTuber. I think it might have been Vitaly or someone. Mm. But they went and they bet, like, I think it was like $60,000 or some, like a lot of money mm. on that somebody would streak. They went to the game and they did it. Wait, the people who bet the money bet on it? And then streak went, went to the game and streaked so they would win their bet. That feels illegal. Does it count if you're the one streaking? I have to. I'd have to look up the story because I don't know if he got away with it. But it's just a hilarious concept. I just pay someone to be like, I'll split some of this with you um, when we win. That's what I would do. I, if you were going to. That's like what that, that might have been what they did because I talked mm. to somebody about this recently, and I think that's might might have been what they said is they had somebody else place <laughs> the bet for them and they mm-hmm. did it which that yeah, makes I don't more think sense anything. to me yeah man i still wouldn't do it um i don't actually know do we know what happens like uh with braves games everything else i've seen over the years that when folks do streak or run onto the field i wonder do they get time i never see the follow-up story of like what is no, the actual dude, you don't sentence get time for? you get no, nothing what no, is it well there's no sentence you're not gonna go to like prison's already you're not doing 30 days in jail though you're not doing 30 days in county you're gonna spend the time in jail so say it's on a you're the lawyer here you need to explain say it's on like a saturday or something or Uh it's friday night say it's friday night it's like Mm. maybe eight or nine o'clock or something Mm. and you streak they're gonna take you over to the jail you're gonna sit there until monday when you can see a judge Hmm. most likely if, but I'm also not sure because like those, it's completely different in different states, and I feel like they might just let you go. Like it seems like a long time to hold somebody, but still, like that's that's what I've heard. If you get in like a fight on Friday night, and mm. then you'll be in jail till Sunday or Monday morning, mm. so you'll miss the whole weekend. And so they always say like, when I was working for some lawyers, they were like, yeah, never do that like around Christmas because then you'll spend Christmas and like in a jail cell. But or just don't yeah, do it on not, Friday or Saturday. Yeah. Wait till they, Sunday. They most likely receive some community service or have to pay a fine or something. Hmm. They're, yeah, they're not going to go to jail. Like imagine like sitting in a cell. It's like, what are you in for? And it's like, ah, I streaked at, uh, what is it? SunTrust Park. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Truest Park, sir. Truest. Oh, it's Truest. Sorry. It used I, to be SunTrust. That one yeah, year was SunTrust. Yeah, I went there the first season. Yeah, sorry. Truest. I was, couldn't remember on which one it was. The big bank in Cobb County. Were, um, you, were you there during the, uh, what was it? NL, uh, C, no, it was the CS. Yeah, the NLCS, not the DS. The NLCS mm-hmm. no. won the World Series. No, I was in Knoxville here. I was there. I know you were there. I remember the pictures. Game you two. Yeah. I thought yeah. you were at the World Series. Did you not go? No, the- I didn't go to the World Series. I okay. wish. Did Kyle go? I don't think so. He might have. I wasn't hmm. in Atlanta by that time. He could have. Okay. There you go. Yeah, I remember you because it was you, Dylan, your mom, Kyle, Bailey. Um, you had the whole gang there, right? Yeah. Yeah, we were all time. in Did Atlanta. We were there for Kyle's I want to say someone did, but I'm not sure. I can't remember. Hmm. I remember yeah, it was, was cold. It, wasn't it cold as hell? No. It wasn't, wasn't that bad? That bad. It wasn't that hmm. bad. I don't remember it being like exceptionally cold. But, I know yeah, one I of the home games. I remember it being lit. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that was, yeah, I did not go. But there hopefully will be other opportunities um, to come back uh, that... Uh, during that time i'm telling you too like it gets so complicated like with me being here in knoxville and like tennessee games and being at those on saturdays and yeah football season takes a lot out of me and when the braves are in a deep playoff run you're like i got football to watch basketball starts in late october it's just a lot on my plate to to watch and yeah i just got super lucky like we were there for kyle's engagement shower and my mom's like you want to go see a braves game and i was like i've never (laughs) seen a playoff game in any sport yeah let's go there you go um who was the most to gain on sunday it could be a coach player gm who do you think has the most to gain out of a victory on sunday in the super bowl logan i'm gonna go with patrick mahomes because uh well this is gonna set him on track to be like a quarterback that's elite like two super bowls is you know, one Super Bowl, yeah, you like some people they can call that a fluke or like you mm-hmm. had one good season. It's like, you know, this kind of puts him in another tier of quarterback, somebody who's gone there and done it more than once, you know. And if you get to the Super Bowl four times or five times after you won your first Super Bowl and you lose all of them, people are just gonna remember you as the guy who lost Super Bowls. They're not going to remember that you got to the Super Bowl a bunch of times and how great you are. And, like, this is one of the reasons I think that LeBron, you know, the LeBron-Jordan argument with when people argue, oh, the rings. I'm like, well, if you think about it, LeBron went nine out of ten finals. And, you know, people like my dad or our uncles will say, yeah, but he lost those. And Michael Jordan never lost one. Well, I'm like, well, so you're saying it's less impressive to, you know, go to the finals and lose than it is just to lose at all. So I think winning here for him is very important to cement his place as, you know, one of the greats in history. Yeah. And I wonder too, with Mahomes, where it just feels like we're like, this kind of leads into another question I had of like, whether or not we're already in a chief's dynasty. Cause people are like, he has to win to like start the dynasty. And I'm like, I think you make the case. We're already in it. Like he went, he's already won one. He was in another and loss. This will be Super Bowl number three for him. Um, in a very short amount of time, he has made the AFC Conference Championship game every single year as a starter at the bare minimum. So last year he misses uh, by losing at home to Cincinnati in the AFC title game. But like, 
I think we're already in a dynasty. I think people just assume, like they equate dynasties to titles, and I don't think that's necessarily true. I think the dynasty is that like the AFC is going to run through Patrick Mahomes for the next decade, and if he makes the AFC Conference Championship game for a decade straight, and that probably entails four or five Super Bowl appearances minimum, like he's going to win a couple, like you said, and he's not going to be perfect. He already isn't. He's one and one, but like Mahomes is so good already that you just I just don't see a scenario where like Andy Reid's in place this staff's in place Brett Veach is in place that they fall off anytime soon like this is just going to be year in year out of just like hey you have to beat Kansas City um, and really put on your A game to survive Patrick Mahomes and get through uh, the Kansas City Chiefs because I think they just we're already in a dynasty and I think um, a win it also puts it we take it for granted right like no quarterback who's ever lost in the Super Bowl his first time has ever gotten back. So Joe Burrow is fighting that right now after losing his first one last year to the Rams. But like Stafford got his one. I don't know. He may never get back. No NFL head coach has ever been to the Super Bowl with two different franchises. Sean Payton is now the Denver Broncos coach. He's going to try and break that trend. Bill Parcells never did it. You go up and down the list. They've only gone with one. Like it's never happened where with one coach going to it, taking two different teams to a Super Bowl. So we just think that these guys are just going to make it back and they're going to be there forever. And it's like the fact that he's already in three in this amount of time is pretty remarkable. Aaron Rodgers got one. The Packers over a 25-year span, 30-year span, got two Super Bowls total for Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. Like it's just we take it for granted. And I mean, it. you think it's sustainable. You think it's a long term. But I'm like, we have to we have to be more open to what the word dynasty means in sports because I think it's just so rare for guys to just control a conference the way that Mahomes controls the AFC right now and to already be in three Super Bowls in this amount of time and literally never uh, knock it at least to the AFC title game as a starter to this point when he's already gotten paid now too and everything else. It's just kind of wild. He lost Tyree Kill. And he hasn't missed a beat. Like, you can make a case they're better this year than they were last year. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know what else Patrick Mahomes can do or the Chiefs can do at this point to make you think that we're they're already in a dynasty win or lose. Because I think that they're the favorites next year. Guess what? To be back here again. Like, I just, I think that's where we're at. Yeah, but if you kind of look at the definition of a dynasty, it kind mm. of implies more than one. And if you go back in NFL history, like you mentioned, I was going to bring that mm-hmm. up. Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, I wouldn't have said that either of them had a dynasty. No. And they had one Super Bowl, and they were contenders year in, year out. And they made other – what, Aaron Rodgers, would he play in – do he only play in one? Did he He's two? only played in one. It's only played in one, but yeah, everyone considers Aaron Rodgers one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, but that doesn't mean his franchise was turned into a dynasty. I think in order to do that, like you said, what more Patrick can do to win or to be cement the Chiefs as a dynasty is win another Super Bowl. That's all, That's what he has to do, and that's why I'm saying he has the most to gain because he can cement his franchise as a dynasty right now, and he can also you know, cement himself as... Uh, you know, a legend in the NFL, essentially. I just, you know. so dynasty, you're studying for the L side. This works. Uh, dynastia is where it comes from. The Greek word, uh, dynastia. All that means is lordship or power. 
Who? Right, no, but I'm saying the definition, like go look up Webster, Merriam. Yeah. It's like several generations or Yeah. It's it's got like, you know A line of it, hereditary rulers of a and country. And then look look at the a second succession of people from the same family play a prominent role in that. But I think in terms of this, like I just think of the power or the lordship. His probably the lordship's probably the most accurate to me, where it's like Patrick Mahomes is the lord of the AFC. And Brady was the lord of the AFC for many years before him. And I think he had to, and obviously we have Peyton behind us, and he tried to fight that. And um, they went back and forth with their lordship battle over the AFC. I mean, there was a time when it was only Ben Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning, and Tom Brady who only appeared in the Super Bowl. There was like a, what, a decade stretch where it was only those three who appeared in the AFC? I forgot how many years in a row every Super Bowl involved, every Super Bowl um, only had one of those three quarterbacks in it. Uh, it's a crazy run with those three. It was Ben, um, Peyton, and Brady. But like it was a, I think it was a decade plus uh, streak where it was only those three coming out of the AFC over and over again. I just, I think Mahomes already is the lordship. Like everyone around, like who runs the AFC and who's You're run the AFC for very, the last half decade? Uh, what is it? That's so funny. On one of my uh, reading comprehension practice tests that I was taking today, mm. they were talking about this about grammarians i guess mm-hmm. and how they're i think it's directivists or something or de- derivatives or mm-hmm. derivatives i can't remember what it was but still they're talking about how like one of them you know uh like observes how words are used in the modern world and the other is like preservatives Perver- mm-hmm. preservists preservists jeez i can't speak right now but anyway those people like try to preserve the language that we already have and try to keep people and like they're the kind of people that like correct you like like for example the word data like when people are talking about like multiple data they're the word should be datum hmm. technically and so like somebody would argue that and like it got me thinking about that how but yeah i just think if you look at like our modern dictionary's definition of it, it implies that like there's more than one person. It does like it also implies some sort of lineage, but like people like if you look at some of the examples they use for the word, they like use like a baseball dynasty. But I think it to be a dynasty you have to do it more than once, you know. If if you go look like the Buffalo Bills, what, they lost three three straight Super Bowls mm. back in the day, that wasn't a dynasty just because they went to the Super Bowl every year for three years and we're contenders like just doesn't just doesn't equate to a dynasty nobody's gonna remember you if you lose the super bowl no but nobody remembers the loser of the super bowl like you know they when, when we talk about stats we, we talk about how many super bowls a franchise has won not how many super bowls a franchise has lost you know unless we're getting really specific yeah who do you think has the most to lose on sunday player coach team Ooh. Who do you think has the Andy Reid for sure going mm. up uh, against his former squad. Uh, yeah, that's just a game you really want to win. You just mm. want to say, "Hey, you guys didn't believe in me, and now I'm going to rob you of one of your Super Bowls." That's just this is a big opportunity for him. And if he loses, then they're like, "Good thing we got rid of that guy because we probably would have lost this Super Bowl and not won our last one." Yeah. So, I think it's, um, I mean, because he obviously went and never won. He went with uh, McNabb and Torello and, mm-hmm. and Torello and had those screws in his ankle and still balled out in the Super Bowl against the Pats and they came up short. But like stable, great 
for many years, just never broke through. Um, he also never had a quarterback as talented as Patrick Mahomes during any of those years. McNabb is good, but never, uh, never uh, Torello and or never uh, Patrick Mahomes good. But it's also there's another wrinkle. I was reading um, Peter King's uh, column, uh, Football Morning in America, on NBC Sports the other day, and he was he does these car rides before the Super Bowl uh, with a different coach each year. So um, he's done with Todd Bowles. He's done it with uh, just Sean McVay. He's done it with different guys over the years. And this year he did it with Nick Sirianni. And Nick Sirianni um, was not retained when Andy Reid got the Kansas City job. He was the wide receivers coach in Kansas City before Andy Reid took over uh, for the coach who was fired before Andy Reid came in. And Andy Reid had the opportunity to keep uh, Nick Sirianni on staff, his first staff with Casey, and elected not to. And he, he talked about that. Um, so there's another level to this where it's like he could have, like, Sirianni could have been um, a protege, uh, one of the Matt Nagy's, Eric B. enemies of the world uh, with Reed and the staff, and uh, he was not retained. So there's another element to that. It seems like he's cool about it now, but that's definitely going to be in the back of Nick Sirianni's mind that he was not retained. So it's just a little bit more fuel to the fire of like wanting to, wanting to prove the doubters wrong. It's just guys are looking for any kind of rat poison. Right. And this is that kind of rat poison to get motivated of like, I really want to beat this guy because he could have kept me on his inaugural chief staff and he chose not to. Yeah, definitely. Just, and then, yeah, you got brothers playing, which is another, huge aspect there's just a lot of people that want to let win really bad for a lot of reasons a lot of good reasons i think jalen hurts has stuff to lose if he looks bad they play it they're behind and the game implodes like i think that is something where we haven't because he was not good in the niners afc nfc championship game he really struggled and the niners have talked a lot this week uh during super bowl media week um about how they thought the game would have gone if brock purdy did not blow out his arm um and a freak injury where it's like you look at the defense like it was three and out three and out like philly wasn't able to do much and that Devonte smith non-catch after review they got away with it um ended up scoring right after but like jalen hurts really really struggled and the niners put him in a blender for most of that game they just literally couldn't throw a forward pass and we're playing with a quarterback who could not throw his throw a pass five to ten yards down the field and i uh i'm curious because i think the best case scenario is like Hertz needs to play from behind and do really well. That's something I'm looking for because he is not, it's not a fault of Jalen Hurts. I'm a big Jalen Hurts guy, but like he has not had to play from behind. He's not had to have this kind of situation where like Chris Jones is on his back and Jalen Hurts is having to do a lot more. And he suddenly they're like down 14, nothing in the first quarter because things went awry and they're off, they're off script and they're not able to dictate how the game is played. We haven't seen them because they've been so good and they're so well built They've just been a machine all season long, but I would like to see what happens if they get hit in the mouth and they play from behind. Because I know if the Chiefs play from behind, they'll catch up. Like Patrick Mahomes is never out of a football game. I don't know what the Eagles are like if they're down 14 nothing early. So I think that will be interesting if they implode from behind and the game gets out of hand early. I wonder what that would mean about how folks see this Eagles team and whether or not they were kind of a facade because they were never actually hit in the mouth at all. Never really challenged. Yeah, I think that'll be something interesting to be looked at. Like, I just the playoffs are so different. The mm. the Super Bowl almost every year almost seems to 
in the last few years, besides the last one, you know, the Rams, I think that was a really close, great matchup, came down to the, the wire. Mm. But the Super Bowl's like just hasn't been that close recently. It just feels like you're seeing a lot of people getting exposed in the Super Bowl. I'm trying to think back. Yeah, it's it's a hard place. Like you you see it happen all the time. Somebody comes into their first Super Bowl and they just crap the bed, but he could have himself like a Nick Foles moment or, you know, not as being like a backup, but as being, you know, people doubting him, questioning him, and then coming out and winning the Super Bowl against, you know, the best team in the league can arguably, you know, talking about how good Mahomes is. It's, it's like when uh, they had to come with a backup quarterback playing uh, Brady, you know, not exactly, you know, Jalen Hurts, I believe is much better than Nick Foles, but yeah, I think that he could he could definitely make a name for himself here, but it's it's a lot to put on somebody's shoulders, especially when you think about how young that man is. That that guy's younger than me, which is crazy. I like I just can't believe that. He's so young but very talented. I want to see him succeed and I I hope that, you know, he does play well and I hope we have a high scoring game. I just want to see a good close Super Bowl, good matchup. But yeah, I hope so too. Um, last thing, well, before we get in our predictions or our official predictions that you have to lock in here, Logan. Quarterback on the move you're most interested in seeing on another team next year is who? Uh, probably Derek Carr because, you know, he has good stats and puts up good numbers and has his clutch moments, but. I personally have never seen him as being like a franchise guy for like, if I was running, if I had a franchise, I just wouldn't see him being my franchise guy. And Mm. I have a good friend that's a Raiders fan. I talk to him about that all the time. And, you know, the beginning of the season, you know, he's screaming at me. I don't know what he's talking about. Or I don't know what I'm talking about, Derek Carr. And like now it's like, yeah, forget that guy. And Mm. I want to see what it's like when he gets a solid franchise, you know, a solid team around him where his defense isn't allowing too many points and, He's not put in these situations as much. I want to see if he's actually as good because, you know, lots of people do talk crap about him because his team never won a playoff games. Team doesn't usually perform well, but I want to see what he does with another franchise that actually puts the team around him and knows what they're doing. Cause I think it's 20 years. The Raiders haven't won a playoff game. So that started long before he got there. And so I want to give him a fair shot. And I don't want to count Matt too early, but where do you want him to go? Because he's in meeting with the Saints, and I don't think that's a good fit at all. I think the Saints—that's a losing uh, situation. I don't, I don't like. Yeah, I th- yeah, I don't think that's like that's not the chance I want to give him. I want to give him like, but I can't think of options right now of where he would go. The Jets are definitely uh, an option um, if they don't go in the Rodgers direction, or Rodgers decides to come back to Green Bay. I think he is probably the fall fallback option for the Jets. Um, my guess um a sneaky interesting one i guess is arizona because i think kyler is going to be out for most of next year um and if they're trying to win football games i don't think they can go with uh colt mccoy for a full year but then that would cause some yeah sort of i doubt friction. Derek carr is going to take that kind of role yeah it's like you're going to be here until we get kyler and then you got to go do something else or sit in the houston bench. makes sense like they're rebuilding but like all like, these franchises you're naming have been terrible so bad for years and i'm trying to think like, well, who do you team? put them on? The Ravens? Uh, if they let Lamar I know. Walk? Well, 
I don't know. That'd be kind of cool. Mm. Panthers would be good cool. for him. Frank Reich. I think the NFC South is winnable. I just I'm more optimistic about the Panthers direction. I think if Saints. he goes to any of those situations you named, he would absolutely fail because mm. he's not a guy that Colts? he's a good court. He's not a good quarter. He's not a what the heck. My light just went. Uh, <laughs> live on the podcast, the light went out. I need the music. Do, 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 do. Because we're live and we're still going. And Logan, Logan's fixing the light as we wrap up here on uh, this portion of the podcast. He's giving up. This is incredible. <laughs> I think it got too hot. I don't know. I'm going to sit in a little bit of darkness for the rest. Well, we're almost done. You're all right. All right. Um, we'll see. I like Derek Carr, though. That should be interesting. I, I'm very curious to see where he ends up. But I think he probably waits on Rodgers, right? Like, I think teams are going to wait to see what Aaron Rodgers does. And maybe some of the other big names, the, the dominoes, uh, to fall before they they move on Derek Carr is kind of like the the fallback option for a lot of folks, but he's solid. Uh, Derek Carr solid. Um, we'll end on this, Logan. Your official Super Bowl prediction is what? These have been so hard the last few weeks. Uh, I want the Eagles, but I'm gonna go with the Chiefs. What's the score? Ooh. Chiefs, 24, Eagles, 17. Okay. I have 37-20 Chiefs. I think Chris Jones has a big day. I think Chris Jones yeah. breaks through and gives the... I didn't want to guess too high on the, the score because I feel like two balls have just been so low scoring recently. What was it last year? 2017 or something? Yeah, it was like something like that. It was um, very close. The Chiefs have not, let's see, what they're, because I was going to go through. They had 23 two weeks ago, 27 the week prior, 31, 27, 24, 30, 34, 24. I mean, if they win, usually it's in um, the 27 and up range, but. Um, well, I hmm. heard you say 24 one of those times, so that's what yeah. we're going for. There you go. <laughs> I like it. Uh, we'll end here, Logan. Your spread. What is the what's Aunt Robin, Uncle Stan? What's the Super Bowl spread like this year? What is your ideal Super Bowl like menu items? What do you have to have? What should everyone in America have for their Super Bowl spread? Like food? Yeah, food. Food spread. Okay. Yeah, definitely like buffalo wings for sure. If you gotta what have flavor? buffalo wings, buffalo. They're like medium or hot. Hot, hot is preferably okay. yeah okay. and then uh just the basic stuff pizza nachos okay it's all that basic stuff i might make a sushi bake what is that which is it's like you take rice and like seaweed kind of like sushi and you flat it out and then it's like a baked roll so you add already like cooked salmon and then you put like cream cheese and uh spicy mayo eel sauce and then you bake it in the oven and it comes out it's all creamy and yeah it's like baked sushi but like a tray's worth my wife would love that that is absolutely yeah, it's so good 
she's a sushi person. She says, I'm just not, I can't do the cold fish. I'm not a... I no, no, no. Th- this is this is baked. So like the salmon mm. is completely, it's even cooked before it goes in the oven. It's like, you know, seared and everything. Uh-huh. And then it goes in the oven where it finishes off cooking with the rest of the stuff. Yeah. And so like, you, have you ever had a baked sushi roll? Mm-mm. Dude, I bet you'd love them. Like they're, yeah, it's cooked sushi, completely cooked. Like there's no raw fish. And then, okay. yeah, they add like the cream cheese and the spicy mayo. It makes it all creamy. So like, yeah, definitely you should try. If you ever get a chance, like I don't think they have much sushi out where you're at, but. They've got <laughs> some good, hey, ba- shots baked fired. Baked sushi. I mean, yeah. baked sushi. Like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Um, yeah. I'll have to, I'll look into it. Baked sushi. I'll ask my wife tomorrow about it if she's ever had it. Uh, Cousin Logan. Great as always, sir. Thank you uh, for making the time. Uh, Enjoy the weekend. Good luck on the LSAT this weekend. Uh, Everyone wish Logan a good, uh, good job here on Saturday afternoon. And then uh, enjoy the Super Bowl Sunday. Say hi to the fam and uh, I'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks for having me. All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, taping this on a Thursday afternoon. First timer, state champion. It's a, it's a good time to be a Baylor Red Raider, but it's always a good time to be a Baylor Red Raider. Great logo, great uniforms. I'm a big a stickler for uniforms and a good logo. And Baylor, Baylor's got all of that over there in Chattanooga. They've also got a great head football coach. Eric Emery is here. Eric, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. So does it uh, does it still feel like like... Once you won, win a state title and you win it so early on in your tenure, like, what does it feel like two months later? Are you still thinking about it? Have you already flipped the page or is it that just more coach speak? And you're like, no, actually, it kind of does stay with you for a little bit. And I do think about it a lot and I reflect on it a lot. Well, I mean, it, it always stays with you, but mm. you'd better turn the page because everybody else has. So mm-hmm. that, I think you can do both of those at the same time and, and certainly have. Um, you know, some time where you sit back and reflect on what you did well and how you can improve. But, uh, uh, you know, you also got, you know, a, a season ahead of you and, and everyone that you're competing against is, has certainly turned the page and, and is working hard for the 2023 season. So uh, we're doing that now at Baylor School. I like it. Um, did this feel like a team that could win state from the beginning? Like when you were putting in installs this past summer and you were getting this team together and really getting a feel for what you had, uh, going into the year, did it feel like that uh, in the moment, or did it, was it something like as the season went along that you it felt more and more like okay, this team really could this this could be special and the ceiling's a little bit higher than I thought early on. Well, I, I felt like the potential was there, but mm. to be honest with you, I really um, I couldn't speak intelligently about the league. I knew it was such a mm. league that we play in. Uh, everyone's well coached. Everyone's got multiple Power Five players. Everyone's got an elite quarterback, and so. To see these guys, um, you know, in the team that we had, I certainly felt like we were talented. I felt like we could, um, you know, if we improved and stayed healthy, could could make a run. Um, but I also didn't know what to expect, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But as the season went on, you know, I felt more and more confident that we had the pieces in place to, to make a run at this thing. Why are there so many good quarterbacks in this league, do you think? I, mean, I just think it's the nature of, of Tennessee and, and mm-hmm. the league that we're in. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of our just great institutions with really, really good coaches. And if you're a, um, a quarterback in the area, you want to go to one of those schools. Uh, and, that, you know, dense populations like Memphis and Nashville mm-hmm. and even Chattanooga, 
um, you're going to end up with, uh, you know, hopefully a decent quarterback. What, um, what was the biggest transition for you to come from South Carolina back to the high school ranks? Um, well, I mean, actually the transition was easier than going hmm. to college just because I'd been a high school coach my yeah. whole career. So, um, I kind of knew the rhythm of things and, hmm. and really enjoyed being a head coach and calling my own plays again. So, mm-hmm. so it was kind of nice. It felt like kind of getting back on the bicycle a little bit, uh, as much as I enjoyed coaching in college and learning from a guy like Shane Beamer and, and mm-hmm. learned so much that, that year, uh, this is probably just a little bit more of who I am. So, uh, the biggest transition was just personally moving to a mm. new city. I'd lived in Columbia my whole life. My family did as well. My kids been in the same school since pre-kindergarten. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and so that was probably the biggest transition. What do they think? Are, is everybody all in? Just Chattanooga, uh, a home run move? Absolutely. Um, mm. And didn't make this decision lightly because mm. of what I was asking my family to do. But uh, I was the head coach at Hammond School for 17 years. Mm-hmm guy by the name of Chris Angel, who happened to be a Baylor graduate, uh, worked with me the whole time there and was the headmaster the last 11 years. And so Mm. he came to be the headmaster here at Baylor and Mm. the job came open. He called me and I couldn't say no. So uh, it's been a a home run for us. We love Chattanooga. It's a wonderful place to raise a family. We love Baylor school. Mm -hmm. Uh, Man, rich tradition, great support. Um, they love football here. It's, it's awesome on a Friday here at Baylor. Uh, it looks like a tailgate scene out of the S. Um, and so to have that kind of support and passion for, for the sport of football, it means a lot to me and my family, and, and we're really enjoying it. What's your favorite eating spot in Chattanooga that you found? Like if you're on a Friday night with the family, where do you go? The Dine Hall of Baylor School, of course. But okay. uh, <laughs> No, the breakfast up there every day is mm-hmm. I think I've gained 10 pounds since I got here. But, what are you eating for breakfast? Man, they have everything. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've, you know, they've got grits, which, of course, being a Southern guy, I'm a big fan of. Yeah. They've you put got, anything in them? Putting cheese grits in them? What are you doing? You know, I just like the salt and pepper, but I will break okay. up bacon every once in a while because bacon with anything is incredible, of course. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's awesome. But I'll say uh, downtown's just a great spot. There's a lot of places that we love. Mm-hmm. But we love this restaurant called Hello Monty. Okay. The gentleman that owns it is a South Carolina grad, swam at South Carolina. Mm. Also a Macaulay grad, but we'll forgive him for that. <laughs> and um, But he's a great guy, and they brew their own beer there, and they've got wonderful food. So I'm actually going there tonight. There you go. Um, I like it. Um, what was the toughest stretch for you this year? Uh, what like what was the stretch where you're like, man, this is I, I just hope we can survive. Was there a two three game stretch? Was what point in the season was it? With just it was kind of a grind, and you were kind of nervous about where things might head. Well, I mean the playoffs, of course. Yeah, play great teams, and you know, toward the back half of our schedule, we had Macaulay, of course, which is a huge game around here. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a wonderful rivalry. If if no one's heard of it before, the Baylor Macaulay rivalry spans about over it spans over a hundred years. So yeah. It's really cool, and I really enjoyed being a part of that, and we were fortunate to win that game. Uh, we played NBA late mm-hmm. and then had to turn around and play them again for the championship yep. while going to Brentwood Academy the week before where we have never won before in the history of the school. So um, that was all a tough stretch. And then mm-hmm. you expect in this league, like I said, you're playing great coach, uh, playing against great coaches and great players week in and week out. Um, what was the McCatless? So it, I have an idea of like what the Macaulay game is, and that's a game that I want to go get to here in East Tennessee is get to Macaulay Baylor. But 
Um, what was that experience like for you the first go around? What was the lead in like? What Did people tell you kind of like what it was going to be like, but you still just had to kind of experience it for yourself? And was that just, what, what was that like? Because I can only imagine, uh, especially with the victory, what that whole day and night was like. Yeah, I mean, it's a great experience. And like I said, a really, really cool rivalry. So, I mean, these schools go back and, and you know, we're cross town from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, the inception of Macaulay is rooted in Baylor. Um, so, I mean, from the very beginning, these, this was a natural rivalry and mm-hmm. been a big part of that the whole time. So when you come to Chattanooga and somebody asks you where you went to school, they don't ask what college, they're not asking you what college they went to. Mm-hmm. You went to Baylor or Macaulay. <laughs> so around town that whole week, everything is either red or blue. Mm-hmm. They do a great job with this hype video that they do every year. And, and, um, and so, you know, and we do that a little bit too. And so there's a lot of, I think, good and healthy parts of the rivalry but it, it certainly is something that everyone is in tune to and when you when you're hired as the head coach at baylor or macaulay i think the first thing that most everyone says to you is you better beat that other team across town so uh, uh it was great man i tell you what the, our place was packed out we had it here at baylor and um and our fans were incredible and their fans showed up and there's there i mean there's just overflow seating everywhere there's 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 not there's not a place to sit in the entire stadium uh and they had a really really good football team that was you know um giving it to us a little bit early we were down 14 and nothing and our guys didn't panic and mm. we were fortunate uh that they made a couple mistakes and we were able to take advantage and win the game um but you know we hadn't beaten them in six years yeah. so a lot of people were really excited about that and i know that they have a wonderful program and a great coach and ralph potter who's won multiple state championships and and they're going to be very tough next year i think they won three straight going into this year right yeah he was on the pod he's great uh you know what his thing is and don't tell him i told you this but i i think he told me his favorite snack like his guilty pleasure snack was he does this like frozen yogurt type deal or he has like yogurt and then he puts like frozen chocolate chips and whipped cream and a couple other stuff on it but that's his uh that's his go-to i'd never heard it before Sounds delicious. So. It's amazing. I did it myself. After he told me about it, I was like, I'm I'm going to try that. No, it's very good. Um, it's So they have Carson Gentle too, uh, Tennessee commit. What was that like uh, when you had going in? Is not he a pleasant. Huh? <laughs> not pleasant. Not um, pleasant. He's, he's a very, very good football player. Mm-hmm. I would say probably the most dominant defensive player we played against last year. Hmm. And, of course, he's coming back. So um, What made know, him dominant? What made him so much of a menace on the edge? I think it's just a, a combination of his size, strength, agility, speed. I mean, he's got it all. Hmm. Um, you know, the guy wrestles and plays basketball at the same time, and he's just a great athlete um, and a very, very tough kid. So he's the kind of player that you you better know where he is on the field at all points in time or so he'll make you pay, and he can certainly occupy more than one blocker at a time. Yeah, he'll remind you if, you, uh, if you're not around that uh, he's still in this game. Um, kind of a, a Bosa vibe there a little bit. Um, you mentioned that you had a rematch, obviously, in the state title game in the Blue Cross Bowl uh, with NBA. Like, you lost the first go around. What did you learn about that game? Like, when you came back for the state title game, were you feeling a lot better? We were like, because they were the number one team and um, obviously uh, just a really well-coached team as well. But, like, what did you see the first go around that made you feel better uh, in the state title game in a rematch? Well, I can't say I felt better because mm-hmm. when you watch it, you know how good they are, how well coached they are. Mm. Marcel Reed, you know, was the uh, Mr. Football in our league, uh, deservedly so. 
Uh, although I felt like our running back Caleb Hanton was right there too. Um, but, but anyway, you know, the first thing you have to do is try to stop him and limit him from beating you with his legs. And uh, he's a, he's a great passer too. Um, but you know, we had success offensively against them and there were some things that we were sorting out on defense at the time, uh, that we felt like if we could clean up a little bit, we could have, you know, a better shot at them. And, and listen, I mean, I've been in this position before my old life where it's hard to go undefeated. And it's really hard to beat a good team twice. So we kind of felt like a lot of the pressure was on them and that, you know, uh, we were playing with house money mm. and went out there aggressive and just laid it on the line. And, and again, was down by two scores early. And, and for the third time this year, being down two scores, our guys were able to come back and believe something great was about to happen and find a way in a second half to win a ball game. What made this team special? Was it the come from behind mentality that they were never out of a football game? What do you what would you say was the most special aspect of this Baylor state title team for you? I mean, I think the love for each other, to be honest hmm. with you. You know, and I understand that people use that word loosely, but it's something that we defined and talked about extensively hmm. um, and how to care for each other and and have have the the courage to be truthful of one another in a respectful way. And, and try to take all of our failures of the past uh, this season, week in and week out, because you you fail so much in football, and it's right in front of everybody to see. Um, and if they don't see it, we can rewind it and watch it for everybody. But uh, to be honest about those things and, and to let that make us stronger. And those guys bought into that process. We talk about struggling well at Baylor. It's one of the one hmm. of the is to struggle well. And they did that beautifully. And it was incredibly rewarding to watch as a coach where these guys are shedding their personal egos and buying into trying to uh, get better collectively. And we did that week in and week out. Uh, we got some breaks, you know, which is what it takes to win a championship. And uh, we played our best ball at the end of the season. And, and that's something I'm really proud of. Where did you first uh, hear about or glean the struggle well uh, concept? Well, I taught a philosophy of religion class for 10 years when huh. I was at Hammond School in Columbia. So, you know, I study uh, the theology, philosophy, mm -hmm. sociology, um, a lot of those things. So I'm kind of a nerd on the side. And mm -hmm. and in some of those, uh, you know, what I call, um, you know, journeys for wisdom, you find out that um, some deep truths hmm. that hopefully you can um, attach to the, the sport of football and coaching young men. So it's a phrase that, you know, I kind of developed while I was at Hammond. Mm -hmm. And I've learned to articulate it a little bit better as I've gotten a little bit older and apply it to the game of football. And our, our guys certainly embrace that this year, the struggle that is football uh, or life. And, and they did it well. Your favorite philosopher and or a theologian is who? Uh, well, I mean, I think, you know, I'm a Christian, but I love mm. to study Nietzsche mm. uh, for his honesty with, you know, what it means to be an existentialist and the difficulties of doing that uh, in the face of not having a transcendent um, mm. guide. Um, theologian, man, you know, um, that's tough. You got some some old school Puritans that I enjoy every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but I don't know. Schaefer in the last 30 years was a great one. Francis mm -hmm. Schaefer. Um, modern day guys, you know, um, Sinclair Ferguson was a, a preacher in Columbia for a long time that mm -hmm. I have a lot of respect for. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I read everything across multiple, you know, religious fronts and try to learn something, too. Have you thought about the Pat Riley concept of what he talked about when uh, he had this thing? Um, I forgot what the beginning part of it was. Just the 
what winning does to teams and organizations. Like there's something that um, you have to be super conscientious and mindful of. Uh, the disease of winning, I think it's disease of winning more or something, the disease of me, maybe what it is when you start winning, like it's just, it's natural for guys to gravitate like, oh, we won. So like our attitudes change, our egos change. It's really hard to get folks uh, back, uh, back on the same page and kind of have that same feeling that you had before you won anything. Have you thought about like how you're going to approach that with your team because you just want to stay titled and it was such a big deal? Um, what, the first time in what, 49 years? Um, which is huge. And like, you're like, all right, we're going to go run it back now. We're going to go beat Macaulay again. We're going to have to go play NBA again. We're going to have to uh, gear up for this. Have you thought about how you're going to approach that with the kids who are returning uh, next year? Yeah, I have. I think Nick Saban calls it rat poison, right? Yeah. But, um, mm. you know, uh, I was fortunate enough to have some success at Hammond where we were able to, you know, defend a championship on a number of occasions and mm. one thing at the end of the year i would always put on my board was a quote from aristotle he would say many a victory has been or will be suicidal to the victor hmm. uh, and i think you know helping people understand uh, and that's part of the struggle well philosophy is that we're not entitled to anything mm. endeavor that we're getting ready to go on together is, is going to be extremely difficult mm-hmm. but meaning that we'll find and and approaching that difficulty and to bearing that burden together will make it worthwhile and and then we'll find gratitude and joy in the struggle itself so uh i, I call myself a struggle salesman so hmm. pretty decent at selling it and uh and i promise you from day one when we get started in the spring we're going to be talking about how hard what we're getting ready to do is going to be i like it um tape hero that did not show up in the stat sheet but that every week you were going through tape you're like man this kid's just he does so many things that the folks in the stands just don't see uh that contribute to just playing winning football true man we had some really really good ones mm-hmm. uh, i think that uh on the defensive side of the ball a guy named evan haney that's going to play at princeton hmm. he, we could just move him anywhere and he played corner he could play safety he battled some injuries um, and so he did a beautiful job. He could come over and play some offense for us at times when we needed to. Mm-hmm. And he was explosive. Uh, it would hard. It would be really hard to point one of them out on um, on offense. All of our skill guys, you know, really had good years. But I would say Rhett Johnson, our center, who's probably mm-hmm. a little undersized, who um, you know was smart, would get us in the right plays and and everybody in the right direction. Uh, and just battled his tail off all year. I think Rhett was a guy to me that if you looked at our team, he wouldn't be the first one you'd pick out. He probably wouldn't be the 15th one you'd pick out. But for how uh, for us to have success, he did a wonderful job. Um, do you have a game day ritual? Do you have anything that you, uh, with coaching so long now, Eric, do you have anything that you follow with pregame meal that you have to do every day, some sort of walk, something that you read? What is your game day routine like? Well, I'm not superstitious at all, but I do. Are you have, a little stitious? Not really. No? Um, okay. But I have I have things that over the years I've felt like have helped me, put me in a good place to, mm. to coach a good game. I used to, I try to get all of my preparation done before Friday hmm. um, so that Friday morning's kind of a, a, a chill time for me. Mm-hmm. If I don't, then in the morning I'll, I'll tie up a few loose ends in the morning. But by, you know, mid-morning to lunch, um, I used to watch comedy, stand-up comedy a lot. Huh kind of laugh but mm-hmm. recently i've got into listening to jazz so we'll put jazz in around the office and kind of kick our feet up and and honestly just like crack jokes and laugh as much as we can are you a coltrane guy or are you a miles davis guy what, I what like, are you... oh man and i'm honestly i've just been getting into it the last three or four years so uh-huh. 
Um, you know, and heck, even sometimes you'll catch yourself listening to some Starbucks freaking mix, just like autumn jazz for the office. So, uh, no, it's uh, it's 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 relaxing. It's fun. Hey, look, I uh, I'm an ASMR guy uh, as I'm working throughout the day because like I'm I can't I don't know how people work. Like my wife is good at this where she can like watch a show or do something else and be productive and think and read while there's stuff's going on. I can't do that. So I have to have something else like jazz or an ASMR, but like different rooms, like campfire room. Oh, it's fantastic. An ASMR campfire with just a little fire pit going and some cricket sounds. That's I'll do that throughout the day. So it's just, it's kind of funny that you're like well, that too. Because women are smarter than we are. Yeah, that's probably, yeah. Have to be ready to uh, help raise children and multiple. Mm -hmm. So when you have a baby on the hip and you got yeah. to same time a lot of a lot of times man like i'm amazed at how my wife can get four things done at one time and i'm just like you i can't do that at all i've got to have no. like total focus 100 that's funny uh we're just wired like that um are you good i have a question with the blue cross ball because i come from ghsa and they're thankfully going to move um the high school game back to the bins which has never uh happened to this point which was dumb that it moved and it was like all right arthur what are we doing here like why is this not playing it why are we playing at the georgia panthers the old turner field and all that kind of stuff and it was a monsoon all during the state title run this past year and it was not good weather it's just not as big it doesn't feel as special and it was just it's it's silly so they're going back to that, but it's also the times I was thinking about, but like for you, it's obviously in Chattanooga, but do you like the times? Cause like Thursday at 11 AM, like I just, I need to get the TSSAA uh, president on this podcast. Cause we're going to have to nail this down because uh, for kids to work this whole time and then play an early game on a weekday when kids are in school, I don't understand that strategy. I don't know if you have to break up in two weeks, do it. I don't know. What do you feel about the scheduling in the blue cross bowl week and all that? Well, I mean, I've been in it one year. I've been yeah. in it one year so take my opinion with a grain of salt mm. um i love that it's in chattanooga i think it's a wonderful venue and yeah. i'm glad that they're talking about keeping it in chattanooga clearly yeah. for selfish reasons but also it's just awesome yeah um but you know i do think that you know us in the public schools are on kind of different calendars and schedules mm. um for it feels a little forced to try to bring them all into one weekend yeah um, I'd love to see us after we after we finish our regular season not have a bye week, hmm. eight teams in the playoffs and and go go quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals right before Thanksgiving and be done. Hmm. So I feel like there's a couple unnecessary weeks in there. I understand yeah. reasoning, but I wonder if we could not govern ourselves, but at least you know handle the game ourselves. Uh, still give the proceeds over to where they have been going. Um, if we wouldn't actually be able to. Uh, create more revenue for the TSSAA, uh, and it make more sense for the families in our and and Division Two football. I like it. Uh, last thing here: three things you couldn't live without, Coach. What are the three things for you? <laughs> uh, well, my wife. Well, mm -hmm. I'll say that. Um, there you I, go. That's a good start. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that really it comes down to this. My grandmother said this to me one time: mm -hmm. you've got to have something to get up to do every day, mm. uh, some, someone to love, and something to, to share the things that you do with. Mm. But for me, it's like family and friends and something I'm passionate about. Um, I love coaching football. I love being around young people. Um, you know, I, And I do have other interests in my life, but I think if you took away something to, to honestly to struggle for, um, to me, that's, that's the thing that we all desire, all, especially young men desire is something to struggle for. 
Um, and so I have this wonderful family I get to struggle for. I have this great profession and a group of young men and this and this school and community I get to struggle for. Um, there's good times out there to be had too. I love music and golf and and you know hiking and things of that nature. And so I think when you take the struggle away from people, they suffer. So just don't take my struggles away. I think I'll be okay. I love that. Um, where's your favorite place to golf in Chattanooga so far? Where have you found? What's your favorite club? Chattanooga Country Club a couple times. So I didn't okay. get time to play last year mm-hmm. because of the transition. I've been up to mm-hmm. um, Lookout once, and it was okay. Cool, but um, I'm looking forward to getting around a little bit here soon. Uh, it's it's nice outside today. So, uh, mm. but the last month has been a little bit cold and rainy. So. Yeah, it, I swear it's been rain. It's we're in Portland, Oregon, uh, here in East Tennessee in the winter. That's just what this place turns into for whatever reason. Um, it could be a fish or any kind of animal in the Chattanooga Zoo aquarium. Excuse me, what would it be? I wouldn't want to be one, man. <laughs> oh, so I'm not even going to answer that question. <laughs> no, no, have you been? I have not yet, but I'm going to. Okay, yeah. it's a fun we time. Got, Chattanooga it, Aquarium's not bad. We kind of hit the ground running here, man. Yeah, but, and so. Uh, this upcoming spring will kind of be it's, it's really the first time i've had off in about two years because yeah. i transitioned from high school into the sec and then from the sec to move my family here mm. so uh the, the, a lot. the aquarium is on my, my i'm on my list of things to do mm-hmm. i like it coach how do the good folks uh here in east tennessee support uh baylor school and everything you've got going on this spring what can they look out for from you guys and uh you know support your program going forward well, I mean, I mean, we've got some stuff out there on social media that you can see what we're doing. Uh, we, we're doing a much better job at Baylor with kind of broadcasting, you know, what we're doing, not just as a football program or athletic program, but our school. Um, come out and support us. I, th- I think we don't play in Knoxville this year, but next year. Hmm. Um, so in 24, we'll be playing in Knox Catholic. So we'll be in okay. town. But, um, you know, other than that, man, we appreciate your support. There you go. I like it, Coach. Don't steer too many kids away from uh, Tennessee to South Carolina. That would be great. And uh, (laughs) thank you so much, Coach. Talk to you soon. Thanks, man. Thank you. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, but you're interviewing. Mm-hmm. You're, um, pleasantness you're smart so i think i'm going to hear big things about you nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah